Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, we are back in full effect. Detroit Is Different podcast studios in the incubator with... uh, Somebody that definitely is like a stone's throw away from the incubator most times in this Hope Village neighborhood. And also his better half. He brought the missus and they are absolutely definitely down with the Detroit is different movement. Jay Sean, Crystal, how are you doing today? Excellent. Doing Thank good. you for having right. us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Excited to be here. I've been, been saying this like being part of the Breakfast Club. <laughs> 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 it's like the uh I don't even know what this is. This is like the uh <laughs> This is the coffee club. (laughs) (laughs) The coffee club. All right. So so with it, like we usually start these Detroit is different interviews. Uh, You guys got a lot of things happening moving forward, but Mm -hmm. we kind of start with the Detroit story. Uh, mm-hmm. What's you guys' Detroit story? So Crystal first, because you're right there at the green mic, as we call it. Okay. Um, Family. How did your family come about to Detroit? Mm. So... um, I'm born and raised here in the city. Okay. Love my city. And uh, we have three girls. Okay. And they are collectively known as the Hershey Kisses. They have mm-hmm. their own platform, social media. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I, we grew up together on a Joy Road, first Joy of Road. all. <laughs> like, okay, but, wait, wait. When you say Joy Road, and then also when we talk about that, I guess with family, I should have been more specific. You want to know the roots, though. Your, yeah, like yeah, your okay. family, was your grand, were you the first generation Detroit? Or was yeah, your mom, was question. your granddad, was mm-hmm. your great granddad? Like, okay. who was the first family member you know that made their way to Detroit? So yeah. my mom. My okay. mom, my mom was her, my mom. Was Got the here first. first. Yes, yes, was the first Detroiter. Did she have yes. uh, sisters and brothers? Yes, she had sisters and brothers. She had um, one sister and she had two brothers. Older, younger. They are, she's the oldest. They're okay, all so, younger. So she was the first kid. They moved here and they were like, all right, now we about to start this family. Yes. Wow, so my yeah. mom, her parents, her parents mm-hmm. passed away. So mm-hmm. her and her sisters and brothers, they actually came here and they mm-hmm. were raised by their auntie. Okay. Which and is my great aunt. Where, where did they come from? So they came down from Alabama. Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of Detroit. It was some from Mississippi in there as well, but yeah. backwards and forth. Okay. It's a it's a lot of Detroiters from from that Alabama as uh yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday I did a, a a show with somebody saying their family was from Arkansas. But usually, you know, you follow the 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 train patterns of what became the Great Migration. So these are kind of like the stories, and, uh, you know, that Alabama, Mississippi, yeah. that roots mm-hmm, in Detroit's Black mm-hmm. Bottom. Like yeah. it would, it would be like certain Alabama neighborhoods in some of those streets. So, mm. what neighborhood did your uh, did your mom and aunts, uncles, where did they grow up? So my mom grew up on a street uh, called Julian. That's mm-hmm. right. It's right off Joy Road as well. And um, she stayed in a small apartment with my father at okay. the time. And my father kind of dibbled and dabbled in some drugs and mm-hmm. she put him out. And <laughs> um, we kind of stayed, we stayed there for a little while and I ended up meeting a totally different family, which is now my God family. Mm-hmm. And um, they partially raised me which was excellent. I love them to death. 
And um, after that, we kind of moved around um, different places in Detroit, kind of with family members. And then mm-hmm. that's when we actually moved to Appaline. And baby, your, your, your mom and daddy moved to, uh, grew up in the gardens, didn't they? Yeah, and my, yeah. And, and she, right before me, she grew up in the Herman Gardens. Yeah. Herman Gardens. Yes. Yeah, that is yes. definitely yes. something that is yes. a Detroit classic. Yes. So monument. many people over yes. there that, yeah. that speak about it with pride. And yeah. that's, that's kind of the, the root of these Detroit is different stories, like tying yeah. together these different neighborhoods communities and a lot of the backgrounds which goes to jay sean your people what brought your people to the city of detroit opportunity you know Mm -hmm. same as many other people who come from to detroit from the south i think it was my great my great uncle cleo who who came down here uh initially now that is a southern name for (laughs) sure cleo yeah he became like big c when he moved to detroit (laughs) (laughs) yeah for real you know rumors of him writing music for the jackson five i think uh Supposedly, he wrote, I'm going to Kansas City. I don't know how true that is, but <laughs> if it's a check supposed to be coming, we didn't get it. <laughs> so my great uncle Cleo, he's a war vet, um, uh-huh. World War II in Korea, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he made his way here. And then my granu, which our grandmother, his, the, the second youngest, came next from originally um, my Vernon. In uh, Alabama, so we're from Alabama too. Okay, so to Alabama. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. Did you did you guys go back to Alabama as a kid? Any? You know what? No. You didn't go back. I, I think I only went back as a no. kid once for a big family reunion. But the, you know, the funny thing is, we both went together uh, recently. Last year, we went down and saw one of my other uncles. And um, mm-hmm. uh, what city is is he is he from? I, I we forget. were we were on I Dolphin forget. Island, and it's right out. Mm-hmm. It's just south of um. It'll come back to my. Mm, it'll come back to me. Okay, and these stories, I think, when we think about a lot of the culture of Detroit, yeah, uh, with these different necks of of Southern culture. Uh, I mean, right now in the urban gardening movement, and I don't know what's going on with the uh, GMO movement uh, of vegetables and fruits. Like you can almost get things world you know all year but i as a child this is my grandmother's house <laughs> speaking of crops you can get uh, all year <laughs> you you could um you know like they will wait seasonally yeah. you know like georgia pecans uh yeah. you know the the watermelons from alabama mm-hmm. so you would know part of like where certain people came from just due to what they grew right what yeah. they grew yeah uh what they had mm-hmm. you going down there mm-hmm, like, bring mm-hmm. back some bring you know, me some of them yeah. georgia peaches i'm gonna make some, I'm gonna make some preserves and <laughs> yeah like, what yeah. are you doing with this yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, funny yeah, because yeah. when we actually uh visit jason's uncle he actually made us some pear cider and some plum cider okay it was a plum pie and i was like okay the plum pie was slapping now the cider we still got don't tell him he said one of our relatives said they got to drink it every night to go to sleep. I'm I like, said, okay. Is it, it's hard cider. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna get you regular. Yeah, <laughs> regular cider. Yeah, right? that's I'm right. It's some functionality. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's some functionalities in this. It's like that. Uh, that alligator syrup. It's like this is disgusting. <laughs> it's gonna get older. And it's like, give me that alligator. Right, give me that alligator. Yeah, I, used to, I <laughs> we ate that growing up. <laughs> Ruining some uh, pancakes for me. We called it a lager. I used to, I used to love it as a kid. <laughs> I mean, I was a weird kid. You definitely were. <laughs> Everybody was like, if you don't give me some Mrs. Butterworth. <laughs> so, um, so with it, Jay Sean, as that goes on, like um, neighborhood, 
You yeah. said Joy Road. So like when yeah. I think Joy Road, like I it stretches because yeah. a lot of that's people That's important think, uh, point to make. We my, ain't as like nine, we the other side. That's that's yeah. what a lot of people hear. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. you know, nope. since KDZ album, uh shout out KDZ and them, uh, yeah. kind of connected to the people. Every time people think Joy Road, they think X and Nine. They yeah. think, oh, you know. And whereas Joy Road really picks up like it breaks from Claremont over like right around Linwood in mm-hmm. in that area. So yeah, what part of Joy Road? So mm-hmm. we the other side, Mackenzie's side. We, we yeah. you know, she went to the Mac. My family went to the Mac. My mom ain't let ah. me go to the Mac. Ah. But Joy Road through Stats. and through. Really, we like to say Joy Road a hundred years. My, my grandma, when she moved to Detroit, she moved over off of Livernois, just mm-hmm. east of Livernois. And my mother grew up on Underwood. Okay. And then my grandmother owned a house on Greenway. But mm-hmm. all that's Joy Road. You know, like you said, stretch from. Mm-hmm. A from yonder way. to yonder, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, definitely. Like when people say "off joy," they think X and nine, but yeah. joy, and, and then like the the way that neighborhood is of like it's like a lot of communities, but mm-hmm. like definitely a lot of young people were in that McKenzie neighborhood yeah. mm-hmm. in the, I would say like in the nineties and even the two thousands. Yeah. It was a lot of kids over there. That was us. Yeah. yeah, that was us. And even in in our neighborhood, you know, just in that small sect, nuances in it, you know, we think of, mm-hmm. people think of Joy Road, they think of maybe us, but across Joy Road, we called that the what? The, um, the, the good, the good oh, side. Oh yeah, the good side across tire, like yeah, right across Joy Road. Joy yeah, Joy Road retirement. Yeah, that was Benny Napoleon's hood. You yeah. know, we, when so we was we, running around in the yeah. stuff, we were scared to go on that. Yeah, side. we was like, you don't drive over there. Yeah, you he was chief of D's at the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you know that's where the nice houses were. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it's still we call it the good side. That's the suburb. It's like the the, the suburb side of Joy mm-hmm, Road. Mm-hmm. We from like the other side of Joy Road, mm-hmm. but yeah, like a lot of nuances on that. And that neighborhood also had like the go kart track. Yeah, ice cream shop. Like it's it's certain like kids things that are like like in like in the hood, black owned things that just you know stick Mm -hmm. in their staples. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know uh, what was it like being a kid in that neighborhood uh, with so many other kids? Like like the the connecting and did you recognize that some children don't even have that type of experience? Like when did you recognize that certain children don't have the experience of knowing like you know, I kind of have a, a social circle of maybe about 50 people. Yeah. You know, that's funny um, because because I, I did hear you mention Claremont. Mm-hmm. So I did stay on Claremont as well growing <laughs> up as a child. So like I said, we kind of moved, yeah. uh, you know, kind of little mm-hmm. everywhere. Our roots deep. Yes. <laughs> but by the time I actually moved on Appaline and... It was just it was just a new beginning for That's me. When history was starting. Absolutely. She married this man right here. <laughs> it was amazing. There's a couple questions in there. I mean, like you wanted to know what uh what, what's it like growing up in this on a street like that with you know, just mm-hmm. a buzz with families and, and young people, children. Yeah. Yeah. And then um the other question of what the difference is today, the, the way children are yeah, growing up today. Or, or and what just we experience. like when you recognize like even over here, like it's a unique experience now that I recognize that you live in a neighborhood where you may know about like 30, like you can really yeah. play like, like 
playing basketball, you can yeah. get off the court and may not get back on the court for like yeah. six or seven games. Yeah, right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Because it's that many kids. Because it was that yeah, many way- kids. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was that many oh, kids. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And just every day waking up, just, you know, getting yourself ready just to go outside. Yeah, was that was a whole amazing. thing. Amazing. Yes. It yeah, was like yeah. you didn't come in until after the street light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. people play outside where it just sound like it sound like the whole world is yeah. outside your window. Yeah. Like, you did not want to come in to eat. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, and I love to eat, but my mama had to hunt me down. In them days, not my wife. I'm coming right when she called me. But so, so when did you all recognize like that is a unique experience to to yeah. be in a neighborhood with so many other young people and develop what I feel like you know people say like you know soft skills or social skills. Like when people say sometimes to me, like man, you you work well with people, but I'm like man, I've been kind of doing this. I had to think back like for a long time because like mm-hmm. even trips to the corner store would be like okay i know you know he ain't got enough money for chips so the minute that we go in here and somebody else buy chips he either gonna you steal know, or he, it's yeah, gonna be yeah, short yeah, yeah. or you know and somebody we gonna get kicked out. out the yeah. store and nobody gonna come you know the ice right. cream truck yeah, come yeah. you better all get popsicles because right. he ain't got no money you know what i'm saying yeah, and we splitting sure. them yeah. you yeah. know what i'm saying so right. like when did you all recognize that that's a unique thing to have at a young mm-hmm. age like just mm-hmm. to socially be dealing with so many people yeah so uh, the question of when is, um, uh, I guess I should back up a little bit. Uh, so we, we grew up on the same block. Um, we very close knit block. Uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, a lot of families, car, a, a lot of families, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know, also being a boy in a setting like that, I got into some trouble trying to find myself, and I eventually found my way out of trouble. And when I did find my way out of trouble. I realized how disconnected everything was, how disconnected everybody was. And at this mm. point, I'm uh, about 30 years old. Mm. Now, I'm I'm still, we, we maintain relationships with everybody, all the families that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. We had a pretty big wedding. Our wedding party, you know, on both sides were the people 15. that we grew up with mm-hmm. and their spouses. Mm-hmm. There were 15, you know, people on each side. And, and those are the only folks who, those are the folks who were in relationships or marriages. I mean, you know, there are a lot more family members that were connected to from childhood that were, you know, just there in support. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we maintain that closeness. But when I made it back home, I realized how few people have that kind of closeness and connectedness. And, you know, when we bought a house recently off of Schoolcraft, um, you know, looking at the way. So one of the first things that I and two of my daughters did was go door to door and introduce our family to everybody on the block. That's deep. But in doing that, we realized that the other folks on the block hadn't known each other yet. Yeah. And so, know. you know, and moving on to that block, we connected everybody on that block. And, you know, now that when newcomers come onto the block, we we welcome them too with gift baskets and, you know, everybody's connected. Yeah, I know. But they were I, like, what in the suburbs are you doing? Yeah, here? what in the. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, um, it, it, I, I, that kind of like that. It, experience brings us back to the reflection that like what we the way we grew up is really unique. I mean this mm-hmm. is the answer to your question. Like is is nothing like mm-hmm. when we grew up. And I think it's less about um, you know, us our uniqueness as, you know, as a couple and as individuals and more about the uniqueness of the times. The times have changed. Yeah. People aren't staying put very long like mm-hmm. they used to. And there aren't community schools to group people together. You used to go to the same elementary school with people 
same middle school with people and then the same high school with people and y'all were connected for life. Mm-hmm. And now we look back and a lot of our history has been erased. Schools are disappearing and it's like your childhood never even happened. Yeah. And, and you can speak a little bit more on that because as we call it like, uh, I guess the academic term would be the transient neighbor. Yeah. yeah. And I do feel that you know, like my neighborhood does have that. Like people that are like, yeah, I'm here now, but I don't know how long I'm going to mm-hmm. be here. Exactly. You know, I may be here for a year or not. You grew up in that way, whereas you said you moved around a lot, and, and some kids do. What what did that feel like as a kid moving around so much mm-hmm. before you settled in to say, like, okay, this really feels like a neighborhood I'm going to stay? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it you feel really displaced mm-hmm. because you're you're just kind of you're just kind of shuffling around, you know, and you're not you don't have time to meet, you know, your neighbors or like Jason saying, by the time we actually moved where we are now, um, you know, we introduced ourselves and, you know, we were actually settled, stable, but just being, you know, I'm moving from one family member's house and I have to adapt to how they actually live. Mm. And then I'm going to a new school with kids that I have no idea, um, you know, what, what they're doing and, you know, like what's the most popular thing you do. At school? Mm-hmm. It was just crazy mm-hmm. for me. So, um, I would say literally just feeling like I'm getting uh, thrown kind of to and fro. Mm-hmm. Tossed around. So yeah. so with that, and and that's a that's an experience that I, I don't know so much about, but just from a young perspective, was that like, did you tie more into like your imagination, creativity, mm. uh, lean more closer into family? Like what was the crutch you had as a child to like keep your expression and you in like knowing that, all right, Next month, we may be in a new spot, but I'm right. going to keep this. Yeah. So, you know, that's funny because I actually went to my aunt and I told her that I need to return to, return to the school that I actually um, was at for a few years. And that was McMichael, she, right? Mm-hmm, and that was McMichael. Mm. And um, she was like, you know what, Crystal? That's going to be kind of difficult because... I have to go. I have to. Uh, she had to take her, her to her uh, daughter and her son to Southwest at the mm-hmm. time, and I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I need it because I didn't feel like myself. I didn't, you know, me cracking a joke by myself is like they don't even understand, you know, yeah, like you, <laughs> you know. So it just, I, I felt displaced. So she ended up um, coming to me and she said, you know what? And God rest her soul. She said, I'm going to drop you off every morning. And she said, once, um, she said, maybe start next year. She said, I'm, I need you to catch the bus. And so that's I said, okay. And that's exactly what I did that whole um, that whole year. Mm-hmm. Shout out to and, Tiffany and, and Antoine. Yes. That's their mother you're talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her name was Rowan <laughs> McDowell. Okay. Rest Absolutely. in peace. Now that's, now that's and deep. I went back, yes. And I went back and my friends and I excelled. Um, uh, in my classes, you know, they I talked to my counselor at the time. I was like, I need to go to the honors. <laughs> she was like, I was like to the honors class, and she was like, okay. And some of my friends that were actually there, they were like, no, I don't want you to leave. But I just knew I don't like to stay stuck. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I have to do this, and just kind of yeah, flourished so, from there. So another Detroit experience. You mentioned the freight, the bus. Yes, mm. yes, as yes. they say. As they say, uh, what was that like? What what bus line was that that you were catching? Because that definitely brings a lot of culture and yeah, character. Bring a lot. Yes, it does. You know, <laughs> so it was a tire. I caught I caught the tireman bus, ah. and then I had to catch Dexter. Oof, the sixteen. Yes. So, um, and then I had to walk in Interzone Eight. 
Mm. By myself, <laughs> you know, just a little mm. girl, just kind of walking. Mm. And I, you know, it was funny because, you know, you hear a lot of stories, a lot of gangbang stories. But I was like, God, I have to do this. Mm. And I did it every single day, you mm. know. And I um, I actually, I also joined the uh, cheer team as well. Okay. And we had games sometimes on Saturdays. And I got on the bus every day of the week, even weekends. So it Made was a lot of friends in zone eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, to this day, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, um, shout out Yusef Shakur and a lot yes. of those people yeah. over there. Shout out Northwestern, to uh, mm -hmm. Northwestern, the love. But yeah, yeah. It's, when you're a kid, we're hearing these stories about the gangs, and it's like you people over there, you know, they'll <laughs> see you with yes. new shoes on mm -hmm. and they'll just yeah. kidnap you. And yeah, like, whoa, you yeah, know, you scared yeah. and you sitting on the back of the bus and you, yeah, like even that feeling. Um, you know, taking a bus at such a young age. I mean, I, I want to say ninth grade. So you started like what? What grade? I was, it was seventh. Seventh, seventh and eighth. Yeah, I can't seventh imagine. Seventh and eighth. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and I have, and my daughter is what, 14, 12. I can't imagine letting them walk to the corner by <laughs> themselves. No, uh, I cannot. Yeah. But but still, even within the experience, when you start catching it, you start knowing the people on there. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and it's the same group of people every yeah. day. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. It just, it, you know, and sometimes the annoyingness of like, man, is it, it when you miss it, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, right. <laughs> hey, oh, you know, it's like at one point in time, I remember, you know, you start taking the bus so much, like you even know which bus is your bus by the top of the bus. Yeah. Like, how do you even know that? Like, oh, yeah, like, like I can see it. Yeah, that's the Hamilton. Right. <laughs> like, I already know that's the Hamilton. Yeah. It's not like today they got an app where they, you know when you know when the bus is coming, you can walk down the street. Right. Yeah. You know, right. It's all convenient for you. I caught yeah, the bus straight that, for, say, for say two fine. years straight from mm -hmm. from our house to the, to focus to my job at Focus Hope uh -huh. because it, it just you know nobody caught the freight you know and I just uh -huh. wondering like you know what's with it I, we know what it is I mean this is the only major city in the country where it's a stigma attached to it you better not get caught on the freight well, you know everybody yeah. think you they yeah. talking about you taking pictures like I saw Jason on the bus so we you know we Hilarious. kicked off this campaign to try to make you know bosses ride buses too try to make it cool uh -huh. break the stigma you figure you increase the ridership maybe you can increase the quality but um, it is interesting, man. In place like city, place like Detroit, people will not, adults will not mess with that bus, man. I, I, as an adult, um, it was it was years ago. It was definitely during like the Bush administration. Gas went up like I want to say it was like four dollars, and I was like, guess what? I'd be a bus taker right <laughs> now. Yeah, you know, and, for sure. You know, and then it was like, oh yeah. These were the challenges with the bus, missing the bus and timing it out. Yeah. This was before the app, though. Let me say this. The people <laughs> at DDOT with the app and knowing when it's coming, it's way cooler now. Yeah. And you got Uber options. Like, I also like busing combination. They call it, like, mixed mobilization, you know, um... You could probably do a lot of things. On the, yeah, you know, yeah on the for bus, sure. Like, and yeah. get more places faster. Um, right. With, within that same story, um, I guess that goes into... McKenzie, you ended up going to McKenzie. Yes. What was McKenzie like? McKenzie no longer is there as a high school. Right. Uh, the grounds now have transitioned to a junior high, mm -hmm. and I want to say elementary. Well, elementary, too. yeah. Elementary. But okay. Which is which, which is right there on Wyoming. You mm -hmm. know, like right at the end of Wyoming and Chicago. So it's not mm -hmm. on not on the actual uh, the ground. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. grounds, but not where the right. building was. Right. 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 It's so, back. Like so yeah. How did you like McKenzie? What was it like? Um, you know, McKenzie's one of those, you know, classic Detroit schools. Yes. So McKenzie, I love McKenzie. Mm -hmm. And um, so as a let me let me start here. So um, Jason and I, 
as kids. You know, we kind of dated for a summer, but he actually uh, for a summer. Yeah. <laughs> I messed that up. Hey, I messed no, that up. Summer relationship when yeah. you a summer relationship as a teenager. That's like yeah. that's like ten years of commitment as an adult. Yeah, and my mother right. put me on punishment for that entire summer. She ruined mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. I, and this is a segue for you talking about boyfriends and Mackenzie. I want to step out. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, Hilarious. <laughs> I want to hear it. You're like, I was with Ricky Harris. <laughs> that is not Shout where I'm Ricky, going. Cal like, all I love Mackenzie, Ricky. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow, how much she loved Mackenzie, and I went hey, there. Hey, hey. No, <laughs> no. So, um, so after Jason actually, you know, went on punishment, his mm-hmm. twin. That was my first bit. His twin, Johanna. Mm-hmm. So we became really tight. That's that's my brother. You know, we we yeah. have a joke that uh, Jason has been married into our family. So yeah, it's messed up. I'm like, I'm the one who brought us all together. <laughs> so um, we walked to school um, every day, okay, and, until he got kicked out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but we had other uh, friends in our neighborhood. We just kind of walked together and back. But uh, my freshman year was I would say probably the most exciting because um I got to meet you know new people and it was just really I guess it was fun it was fun we we were creative I don't Mm -hmm. people came from Drew and this was my first time meeting them and you know it was just people coming a little bit from everywhere and Mm -hmm. I kind of stood out by staying in the neighborhoods Mm -hmm. so yeah you were new girl in the neighborhood because they they came from Drew but they had also went to McFarland or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I was pretty new. Yeah, yeah, because most of the kids from McMichael went naturally right to over to Northwestern. Yeah. yeah, they went to Northwestern. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And then some of them went off to Murray. Yeah, yeah. My mama sent me to Murray. Right, speaking of all the different gang, you know, Number Street and then JBI. I was scared to death. I ain't know none of these cats. I was oh, talking yeah, about yeah, being yeah, an outsider, Murray. but yeah, if it ain't Murray, it ain't right. As they used to say. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, shout out. We talk about people, Lance and all them cats. I, I, yeah, Murray Wright got that tradition. So that's where you ended up going. I went there for a year before uh-huh. I got kicked out of America. Oh, man. <laughs> like, what were you doing? Yeah, nothing. That's what the kids at DSA. They were yeah. like, this is who looking out of the It was the cast kids on the front of the freight. You were one of the people like, yeah. oh, man. I lost my bus cards, uh, uh, punk. Uh-huh. <laughs> you had to go by Murray Wright, and yeah, we had to go by Northwestern. It's yeah, like, man. oh, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Like, the people with the cast shirts on used to have to buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> wear my wear my jacket today. All right, yeah. for all my CT people, I know they they about to be like, ah, oh, <laughs> no, I love my team. cast tech people. But, uh, but yeah, y'all know if y'all took the Dexter or the Grand River, it, people from yeah, you you were passing Murray Wright. Yeah, <laughs> you were passing Northwestern. It, it was it was a tough go. I mean, Timmy, casting people ain't hold us up though. We thought they was just a bunch of nerds, but come to find out, man, they can <laughs> hold their own. Yeah, they you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. we need your bus card. No, you don't. <laughs> You right. (laughs) (laughs) Now now these are all the shenanigans that you know happen on the back of the bus. Exactly. (laughs) To avoid any danger as a child, sit behind the bus bus, driver. Sit as close to the yes. Sit as close to the front as you possibly can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Avoid all of it. But if you want to be cool, (laughs) you better be brave. (laughs) It went down. It went down. (laughs) So you 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 went. Over to Murray, where did you end up graduating from? Yeah, that's another piece. So my mother wanted me to go to the, a military academy that was mm-hmm. new in uh, in in, in the Herman Gardens mm-hmm. called Charles C. Rogers. But they had requirements. You had to be 14 in the ninth grade, and my birthday is late. So I was, uh, well, early, well, late. 
So I was uh, 13 going to the ninth grade. So I couldn't go. She sent me to Murray instead because they had a four-day uh, ROTC program, Naval ROTC. But when I got kicked out, I'm going to the, I got kicked out of all Detroit public schools. But mm. when she, you know, she in those days they would make you go meet with members of the board, and we did that. And she was like, "Well, I wanted to go to Charles C. Rogers, so I went to Charles C. Rogers Military Academy for two years, though, actually, because I got in trouble from there and <laughs> ended up finishing my high school requirements in Vassar, Michigan, mm. uh, which is uh, a little north of, uh, of Saginaw. Um, at a place called Pioneer Work and Learn Center. This is through Wolverine Human Services. You was like Bishop as a kid. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing, man, I was like the kid, you know, I, I didn't want no trouble, but you know, I'm a twin brother, and my twin is actually the evil twin. And, you know, and he, you know, athletic and confident, and I was quiet and, you know, mostly uh, you know, thoughtful and uh reflective, but that, you know, it wasn't gonna bold. So I had sure to step out there and I was the one who always got caught. I'm sure, I'm sure it will be revisionist history for yeah. the teacher <laughs> <laughs> and administrators. No, they go, they go, cap. They go let you know, like, yeah, no, that one. It's a, it was surprising that Jason kept getting in trouble, but that twin brother just he never really got in serious trouble. My mother said it like, "You're the voice of reason, but you nothing you do, you 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 gonna get caught." And so I always did. And you know, my trouble at Murray Wright, a lot of the stuff that I got in trouble for, I really had, I didn't even do, and I saw crazy. It got trying so bad to fit in. With what was going on around me, man, I developed a reputation, and I like I would get suspended for something I had no idea even happened. It was wild, but yeah, birds a, of a feather. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep, yeah. And um, so with that, that definitely goes into a lot of what uh, has been talked about, like Jawaza Kenjufu, um, you know, even uh, Dr. Umar Johnson, and so many people talking about uh, black boys and mm -hmm. energy and mm -hmm. like how how schools engage with black boys. I know yeah. even me personally, I always felt like, man, school is for girls. Yeah. It just never <laughs> felt like everything, it felt like everything, I, my natural... Inclinations, my, yeah, instincts. Yeah, every, and, yeah, it, yeah. Like everything. Sit Suppressing. down, be quiet. Yeah. Um, you can't do this. You can't do that. And then you ask like, but I want to do a flip over place? this chair. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, ah, like, I can't do nothing. I can't, right. like, I can't get on? the wall. Like, you know? What kind of place is this? And, and even more studying like, you know, the, the as they yeah. say, the, the school to prison pipeline. Absolutely. And, and the administrative, uh, you know, just that whole world of disciplining. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it it just you know you you sitting in the counselor's office like you serving time like you say mm -hmm. it's like damn you know what I'm saying I'm in here like mm -hmm. can't even sit through a whole class get out <laughs> yeah. Frazier get yeah. out you know and you're like oh here we go yeah you know um what do you think that was for you like how how what was it that was it that that during that time because I know your mom had to have been like what is going on yeah. here. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. what was it like for you as you were experiencing that? Because many of us have experienced that mm -hmm. as black men. Mm -hmm. You know, what was that like for you? How did you process that, especially as you look back at it now? Yeah, it was difficult to process at the time. You know, obviously, I thought that as a, you know, as a young child who just couldn't make it work for himself, I assumed that something was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as I reflect on it now as a grown man. And, you know, raising children of my own. And it's interesting because it's not really, it's not even just boys. My, you know, my, our five-year-old mm -hmm. is, <laughs> my wife said it's like a right. <laughs> so, you know, she, you know, she has to touch stuff, move around. You know, she's the one who's doing flips and eating upside down on the couch and, you know, like doing all of that stuff. Um, I think as I reflect on my school experience, I realized that we're, we're attempting to mass produce humans. And, you know, it's like putting them on a conveyor belt. And, you know, we track tests, 
reject, certify or reject these students. Like I think it was Grace Box who, who, who wrote it like this, like parts on an assembly line. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I you know I was extremely introverted. And, you know, I spent a lot of time daydreaming, really creative. Uh, I didn't know that's what it was at the time. And I built a world inside my head. I couldn't wait to just put my head down and, you know, go out on a date with this girl I had invented. Her name was Patrice. God blessed me to marry a woman whose middle name was Patrice. I told her, you're the woman I created. I dreamed about you. Hilarious. But, you know, I was spending all my time in my head, man, you know, just writing out this. And I'm telling you hours, Kari. That I could, ju- and this is what I did in school. Why? Because I could get away with doing that because they were mass producing so many other students. And I result, you know, in elementary school, middle school, I'm getting horrible grades. It's not because I was acting out in class at that time because I wasn't. I was just daydreaming. And then, you know, moving, in, but also didn't make a lot of friends. I didn't stand out. You know, you, you have to stand out and be competitive in an environment like that with so many other young people. And that wasn't who I was. It wasn't into high school that I kind of snapped out of it and thought, I need to be able to fit in more and, you know, became disruptive and, you know, doing things that would get me attention with my peers and, you know, kind of grew into my swag, realized that maybe I was better looking than what I had given myself credit, start getting along with the girls. And, you know, uh, but it was still it was still a, a, a growth journey for me, I'll say. Uh, trying to figure out how to make that work because now I'm on the opposite side of uh, dysfunction in this system that tries to get us to, f- you know, to fit one mode. Mm-hmm. On the one end, I'm not participating. On the other hand, I'm being disruptive. And um, it wasn't until later in high school that I really learned how to make all my gifts work to get me through this really oppressive process of education. So it, it's unique as you talked about, like sometimes the daydreaming and checking out. Um, yeah. <clears throat> One of the podcasts that sticks with me, uh, it was when uh, the first time that Freeway Ricky Ross went on Joe Rogan's podcast and he talks The real about, Freeway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So, uh, and he talks about like, yeah, man, I couldn't read, but I still graduated because mm-hmm. I was just so calm and chill. It was hard for the teachers to fail me because mm-hmm. I really caused no problems. Mm-hmm. So they kind of kept passing him along mm-hmm. by just being that kid, like you say, just kind of like- Vegging out, daydreaming. Like, mm-hmm. you're there. You're not really causing much of a problem. Mm-hmm. You're showing up. You're not as much of a headache as the other guy. Mm-hmm. But you're still not grasping what's being offered. Mm-hmm. And, and some of it, to me, I always felt like, you know, that's always this qu- like, what's in it for me? Like, why am I mm-hmm. learning this? What's mm-hmm. the value of this? How mm-hmm. is this going to help me? Am yeah, I going to use this? Yeah. You know, which... Which now at 38, I can look back and I can give some context for it. But in reality, you know, as an adult, you're never sitting around saying to yourself as the average adult saying, okay, what's the Pythagorean theorem? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. When you yeah, want to mix yeah. paint at Home Depot, you're going to ask them to do it. You're not yeah. gonna, you know, they don't right. have a machine right. where it's like, oh, man, this is chemistry. So this is yeah. like Californium. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, right. So I haven't done that. But it's it's almost like you're you're tasting everything at these young ages to mm-hmm. see maybe this is something that'll stick mm, like a petri mm. dish. Yeah, yeah. But with it, you're in education now, so you're you're interacting. What led you in that path, knowing that even for you, it was something that you didn't grasp so much? Yeah, I mean, I guess looking at it, you know, you know, first that I'm in community education and advocacy. You know, it's not my job to instruct young people in the same way that. Um, you know, people are taught in traditional school, but um, I'm, I'm first and foremost a community organizer. And so I try to create the context in which people, you know, learn and connect with one another and grow. 
And maybe that is a part of, I'm not sure, I never really questioned myself on that mm -hmm. card, to be honest, but maybe that is what helped me gravitate toward the way um, I involved myself in community is, you know, all the different ways that I felt community failed me as a young person. You know, when we think about not only what people are taught as children, but the way people are taught, you know, it really just doesn't make good sense. I mean, we talked about Grace. You brought up Freeway Ricky. He's not an idiot. He's a very intelligent person. I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm pretty bright. Yeah. But, you know, the grades that I earned weren't reflective of that. And, you know, it's what it's reflective of is a really, really obsolete system of education that I think was constructed around the need to keep young people busy while their parents were in the plant and mm. we were doing, you know, recreating um, plant like thinkers through this system of education, man. And that's unique. You say that because I, I do think that when we think of the first public high school being central yeah, and you even look at the design of central, yeah, it looks like a factory. Yeah. You know, the bell wow. going off the, yeah. the like it's, yes. it's designed yes. to create <laughs> The idea. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and then when you when you look at like the writings of someone like Andrew Carnegie, that was, as they say, like mm -hmm. the biggest advocate for public education, mm -hmm. like the reason to create the you need public education to transition the agricultural worker mm -hmm. into an industrial worker mm -hmm. because the agricultural worker is learning agriculture and farming mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. generations passed down and things like that. Mm -hmm. When you're learning this steel mill. You need to be able to open up a book and look at like, all right, this is what you do. So iron ore don't mm -hmm. roll over and kill everybody here mm -hmm. and we can still build these skyscrapers. Sure. Hence, that was Carnegie's interest, though it's painted through the lens, I think, nowadays of philanthropy. Like mm -hmm. Andrew Carnegie was just this great guy that just cared so much about Americans learning. Mm -hmm. That was like an externality. Another one of those terms that I'm always using <laughs> in economics. It, it, like, it wasn't a goal. It just ended up happening. Yeah, kind of a byproduct. Exactly. A yeah. byproduct of what happened within that. And yeah. You're in that space now. How do you think um, now generations, as we see the industrial age, doesn't exist anymore? That, mm -hmm. that was like our generation. Mm -hmm. how, how are the parents? Because you're working, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about early childhood. That's yeah. that's what you're connecting with. How are the parents that connect with you at Focus Hope? What what are the dreams and the visions of of their children as they look at what parenting looks like, what what the lifelong journey of their children look like? Like mm -hmm. When you engage with them, what's the feedback you're getting? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, to be clear, I think you're thinking about, too, um, early learning. That's actually my brother, Wayman Hayes. That's that obviously he's, he's the director of, mm -hmm. director of early learning at Focus Hope. And Focus Hope, for people who are viewing, is my day job. Um, I'm actually founding director of uh, Advocacy, Equity, and Community Empowerment, which uh, is a kind of a cross-cutting focus across our early learning, youth development, adult workforce, and then food justice program to make sure that everything that we're doing is through an equity lens and that we're, you know, being a preeminent uh, organization as it results, as it relates to um, uh, policy and anti-racism. Mm -hmm. But in that work, and you know, what I do there, I do get to interact with, with parents families. and, and that's families. Really Absolutely. What I talk yeah. About. Yeah. What are families talking about right now? What's the, what's the parent of a three-year-old yeah. thinking, future goals for themselves and their child. Yeah, I think so if I I don't think that I'm being presumptuous when I when I make this kind of a statement because it really is coming from I, I don't I don't profess to speak for all parents, but I I do I have I have spoken to a number of parents 
by and large, parents trust the the system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not without critique. There are a lot of critiques mm-hmm. about what the system could be doing better. But, you know, parents want what we all want for our children. And that's for, you know, them to be in a safe learning environment and to reach their fullest potential mm-hmm. by having their capacity built out in this in- environment that they, they sent the children to. So it, by and large, and, and also parents want to be able to work and do other things that improve the lives of those young people. So when they send students to places like, you know, uh, right there on Oakland Boulevard or to other public institutions or charter institutions or whatever, their their best and their most full hope is that my child's going to learn something and they're going to mm-hmm. be something because of this institution. And I don't think that many people take you it it doesn't dawn on us and it shouldn't have to dawn on us to be quite honest. So this is, you know, no no fault or no shades to parents, but we don't think to ourselves this really isn't the appropriate system to be educating our kids. Like you 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 talked about this being a kind of a post-industrial era that we're in and it is. And um more than anything, we need young people who can be creative to create new things and be entrepreneurial, but that's not the learning environment that that they're in. And I think that we're setting our parents up and we're setting up our children for a big upset mm-hmm. as they move into a, adulthood if we're not honest with them about what the changing world is calling for. And, and it begins at education. And I, I just don't think that we're addressing that. And that, that definitely brings me over to Crystal as a mother. Mm-hmm. Um and and with the child with children mm-hmm. how do you see this because you're you're like I'm, I'm speaking of the parents i'm talking about the the concept which your husband jay shine the father but mm-hmm. from your perspective like what do you see like when when you look at and evaluate because school systems have so much to do with a lot of the lay of the land and then, then we're going to get more political because when you look at right now just due to redlining and a lot of laws they can't say like this is a good or bad neighborhood, but the one thing they can say is this is a good school system or that's a bad school system. Mm-hmm. And the one thing aligned with all quote unquote good school systems is this less and less black folks there. Mm. I can guarantee you this. If that school system has a lot of black folks there, it's going to be labeled as a bad school system. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like an IE way of saying like, you know, there ain't no black people over here. So mm-hmm. really the school system to me in, in my old lens has become a new way of redlining yeah. and how we define this. So as a mother, when you, when you look at if five year five years old is, is an interesting age because that's like right on the cusp of like where this learning journey will start. Mm-hmm. And now like, you know, I look at certain mm-hmm. things, um, you know, from where people say it's like learning can start at one or two or whatever. You need to be on this path. And, you know, your kid has to like, you know, kids are like giving exams and tests at like four years old of like trying to get it entered into these special schools. Like, <clears throat> how do you look at that as a mother? Uh, what do you see as success for your child? Like how how much of that is like your vision as a mom and how much of that is the vision of like, okay, I kind of know my daughter. I'm getting a feel of my daughter's Mm. personality and we need to find what fits her personality more so than quote unquote, find her a good school. Mm -hmm. So education starts at home first. That's just Mm -hmm. how I view it. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately I set my career aside to focus on our three of our girls Mm -hmm. and 
like I said before, the oldest, she's 14, the middle child is 12, and the youngest is five. And, you know, as a mother, you think to yourself, where do, you know, after, after I've actually educated them, I just thought as a mother, oh my gosh, like what school are they going to attend? Like who's going to actually care for my babies because they learn different. I know them. I know how they learn, but I was just, I didn't feel that the education system could actually grasp that. Mm-hmm. So, um, focusing on the girls and actually being at home with them, I made sure that every morning I give I give them confident talk points in the morning so that they can know that they're the best thing since sliced bread, really. And um I just try to make sure that even when school when when they're not at school, you know, okay girls, what did you learn today? Um I try to make sure that they're on top of everything. They're straight A students right now. Thank God. And pro- prayfully, they will continue to be. But I also told them I want them to just do their best. I don't care if, you know, they bring a B home. So that's just, that's never my focus. But I want them to do their best because I know at home education is first for us. Mm-hmm. So with the five year old, um, I told my husband before with COVID and everything that's happening, you know, I'm a little confused really right now as a mother as to, you know, do I leave her at home for the day? You know, do I homeschool her or do we send her to school? Mm-hmm. So I think that, I mean, you know, is there questions there, you know, uh, depending on, the, you know, leaving it to the school system. And, and and what do you look at as far as when you say it starts at home? How does that carry on from just because like in some ways, like what Jay Sean said, like, you know, Sometimes, you know, a parent could see school as like, okay, this is, this is like, you know, babysitting sort of. Right. You know what I'm saying? I right. Got free time now. Mm-hmm. You know right. Right. So, like, how does that pick up after they leave school and come back home where that carries on? Mm-hmm. So, wait, explain that again for how me. How does the education carry on outside of school? Like, how do you build, how did you all build a system where that happens? So, I would say, um, from early, I guess what early morning with cares just mm-hmm. actually laying it out that's for her yeah that's that's our oldest sorry and just kind of laying that out as far as what we expect from her regardless of how others are learning or behaving in school with her and just knowing where she actually comes from and expecting her to actually do that job and coming back home and checking in with her, spending time with all three of them, actually, just making sure that they're understanding what it is to be home versus school. Two, and two quick examples on that, I would say, are once when we were camping and um, we were, I don't know where we were, somewhere in maybe in upper Michigan. And the middle, our middle baby, Katie, I'll shout our babies out was working on an essay. Remember this assignment? Maybe? Yes. Yes. And um, checking on everybody's homework and assignments and stuff. We were, this is during COVID. So we're remote learning already and emergency learning anyway. And um, she said, I'm done. And I was like, let me check it out. <laughs> so she lets me check it out. And she's like, that's good. My teacher said, this is perfect. They already looked at it. I'm getting an A on it. <laughs> and I was like, what's the central thought on this? Essay. Mm-hmm. Where else? What I asked her, you know, like what, what? How do you construct an essay? And she went through it with me. Oh, you have to have a topic. You have to have supportive um, statements, and you have to uh, have a conclusion. And I was like, "Did you write an essay?" 
And she said no. She I was said, like, no, I mean, the teachers, they're, they, they're going to look at it and they're going to see that I did it right. It's, it's okay. But I was, we were like, Katie, you know exactly how to structure an essay. You know exactly how yeah. it's actually written out. And then she was like, okay. And she was, she was upset yeah, about it because she, she felt us. like, okay, I understand that you all are strategic about what it is that you need from us, but they're, at, they're expecting something different. And I, that's easy. So I'm like, Katie, you can't just skate through. And then um, it, it, just being good enough is not good enough for us. And then another story with Crystal was um, there's a teacher that, you know, we love to death, uh, really supportive of a family, in a lot, a lot of ways part of the family. But the young one was on screen learning, and the teacher was asking a question that our five-year-old wasn't really getting. And so Crystal came on and said, and asked another way. And the teacher was like, no, don't interfere. And Crystal was like, no, I'm going to explain this because you're explaining it in a way that my child's not getting it. And I know my child. Mm-hmm. And this is important because, you know, you know, the teacher community is hey, like, education starts at home. Teachers believe that, too. You know, you're the mm-hmm. primary educator until you challenge their authority. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's like, don't interrupt. But. You know, Crystal is the person who's going to, and you were right to assume that it's Crystal because she did set her career aside. And, mm-hmm. you know, she is the person who's been primarily responsible for the education and development and the business ventures. But she's the person who takes charge. And let's talk about the business ventures. How did the business venture come about? So, um, so our girls have their own platform, mm-hmm. which, like I said before, the Hershey Kisses, and they have almost 300,000 followers. Mm. So that's something consistently that yeah, that's um, powerful. thank you that we actually work as and we signed a contract with Verizon. So we've mm-hmm. been featured on national Verizon wireless commercials as well. Mm-hmm. How, how did that start? How, whose vision was it? When did it get started? Okay. So that was actually um, my vision. Mm-hmm. When I, this is what I tell everybody. Like Joe Jackson. <laughs> 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 I ain't trying to make content. (laughs) So, um, this is the story that I tell everybody. When I actually received each one of my ultrasounds, and they all said, It's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl. Mm -hmm. And I thought about my childhood as a black girl growing up in the streets of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And I prayed and I said, God, really? What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And after, you know, just raising the girls and I realized, you know, I'm raising them to be strong, confident, brave, smart young girls. And I told them that it's a niche for that. It's an avenue for black girls to be inspired. And the girls, you know, they would actually, um, you know, because I set my career aside and just focusing on them, they went to school and they excelled always. And their teachers were just amazed and always in awe, each one of their teachers that they've, any, any classroom that they've been a part of. And they would say, you girls are stars, you girls. You know, they just kind of said that. And the girls, my oldest, she was like, Mom, I think that we should, you know, I've been kind of watching um, YouTube and I've just watched, you know, watch people be creative and their talents. And she's like, I'm thinking about a channel. And I said, all three of you. Well, at the time, it was just the two oldest. And I said, you you guys should, you know, kind of think about it. Time went on. And by the time the youngest um, was actually born, I said, girls, 
I think you all should try to move, you know, towards your channel. And they did and they uh they dance and they just inspire black girls to be confident in the That's skin cool. that they're in. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And 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 watching that grow, I know, as you say, the entrepreneurial interests, have they have they seen how the monetization works? Are they learning more uh, you know, how how audiences respond to different things? Like yes. how has that changed their thinking to watch something grow? From their mind yeah. to real life to see others galvanize around it. Yeah. So they initially wanted to quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they were like, um, no, you know, we're not getting the followers that we want. And, and I told them, I said, girls, stop focusing on everybody else. Stop watching everybody else's channel because that was something else that they would say. Well, such and such only been in here for a month and now they have mm -hmm. this many followers. And I told them. We're not watching everybody. Let's do what's right. Mm -hmm. Do where we feel like there's a niche and just go with it. And I said, you girls are going to be consistent because if you quit, then what? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? So they was like, okay. And I think at the time they called uh, their uncle as well, um, Jason's twin. And he was like, no, girls. You know, he kind of coached them along the way. Like, you know, you mm -hmm. should stick with it. And we did. And um, I guess... Just looking at some of the um, as the as the channel uh, progressed, you know, comments. People are people. Um, yeah. People are. I mean, ignorant. they get yeah, yeah, they get billions of views. Um, you know, so, yeah, as well. So billions, yeah, and it's one of those things where uh, another content thing. Two chains was like, yeah, you get a million comments and say, hey, great music. Then one person say, hey man, you're horrible. And yes, it's like, that you're horrible can stick in your mind like uh -huh. yes. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. you know. Yes. So, um, so we have um, mm -hmm. came across uh, plenty, uh, plenty of compliments. Sure. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, I say sure it's, compliments. It's, <laughs> I know, that's right. That's what they are. I'm sure it's. Yeah, I'm sure it's way more compliments and encouragement. But there definitely will be. I mean, it's it's just an era of you know. Uh, you can hide behind the keyboard. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Say whatever. It, yeah. They definitely probably would never say it in real life. Absolutely. And right. the girl is like I told the girls. They don't know us. They have no idea what they're talking about. And they also just want to be seen. They want you to mm -hmm. respond because yeah. if you respond, then you make them actually present and make visible. Make them relevant, So yeah. they're mm -hmm. like, mm, okay. So they, I think at the beginning, it kind of bothered them. But now they're to a point now where I just tell them, respond to the first few people. And after that, just let, let it, it go. Yep. Let it be what it is. Let and it you, got, you girls keep doing an awesome job that you're doing. Uh, you also said something that, that just is, uh, and we're getting close. This is a, uh, close to, to the end, but this is a good interview. I want to point this out because it happens to be in the content world. Something that I've seen where women say like, you know, um, you mentioned strong and I've definitely ha heard this debate about black women saying like, I don't want to be always strong. I don't want to always be strong. What's your take on that? And that, I guess, characterization on that because that is a discussion point it seems to be coming up often mm -hmm. and that usually is something that is uh you know that's something that exalts so many black women but i've also been hearing it from the other side of saying like you know it almost makes us seem less human but what's your take on that so uh being strong first off for me is just being able to hold your own regardless of how the world looks at you or regardless of how what others say about you. But like you said, 
sometimes you don't want to you don't want to feel strong all the time. You just want to, you know, relax and not be so um I guess not not necessarily arrogant, but just kind of out there to, to prove to to prove yourself to others. You know, sometimes you just want to feel like I am who I am, let me be. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's all fair. Like, like I think you, you you stuck the landing on that. Like I mean, I know that's a a big discussion point. Yeah. So uh, now you all are are looking to expand what's in the community mm-hmm. and run for office. What sure. was the inspiration, Jay Sean? You you you're looking to run for mayor. Mayor, mm-hmm. uh, many duties connected to mayor of the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. What was the catalyst to say, okay, I'm gonna do this mm-hmm. and. Uh, and along with that catalyst, what was the reception like? Um, obviously, you all have to have that conversation together. Like, what mm-hmm. was the, you know, you had to pitch the missus first. You had to piss, pitch the mister first. Like, what was that like just going through your mind of saying, like, okay, I'm doing this? Yeah, it was crazy. I guess I can um, um, respond to you. When, and I'll just let, you know, Crystal, you can just chime in as you feel led. But this has been an incredible journey kari to say the least now people who know me know that pursuing elected office is the is the furthest thing that i ever dreamed of for myself and you know it's not the first time somebody you know urged me to go but you know i think that you know in our community people see you in front of people they see you have abilities or whatever and if, you know first thing we think is you should be a preacher or you should run for office mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i've rejected both notions representation yeah <laughs> So uh, yeah, I'm a community organizer. So I like to be behind the scenes. You know, I've gotten a lot of people elected and, you know, I like I, I prefer being in a nonprofit sector. And so uh, this time around, you know, people same thing, you know, she consider running for office. And then, of course, later we got wind that people had started collecting signatures, not only on my, for my on my behalf, but also on Crystal's behalf. And I don't think she knew yet because she came into our room at one point and said, baby, I think that you should run for mayor. And I said, baby, get out of our room. Get Goes somewhere, and um, but you know when she says things, they become real to me. It, oftentimes, you know, they're, they're not real until she says them. A, a lot of things that that have happened in our life is because she spoke a word, and um, when she speaks a word to me, it, it takes root. So I did think about it, and really, what I thought about, you know, with my lens of um, be, being pro-black, you know, anti-racism lens, racial equity lens, community organizer, movement builder lens. I thought about the potential for what a campaign with me as the candidate this time could do for people. And this was the ultimate selling point. I mean, it wasn't an easy selling point because I still deliberated over for a lot of months. Mm -hmm. And when I decided that I would accept people's urging, um, I, it wasn't until I had almost fully formulated in my mind what the goals of a campaign would be. Mm. Now, obviously, the, the the primary goal of the campaign is to secure the job. I'm, 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 I'm interviewing for a job to be mayor of the city of Detroit. And I'm interviewing for that job because I want there to be a, a race equity informed, resident driven, clean, safe, prosperous neighborhoods agenda. And if I get the job, then that's what I'm going to do. But, you know, I'm also an outsider and the odds of me uh, winning the job, you know, are against me. Now, certainly it's possible. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. But they're against me. So I had to ask myself, what else do I want to accomplish, you know, through this race? And 
uh, Crystal and I run it as a slate. And so, you know, these are things we talked about and developed these goals together. But the second goal, I mentioned the first was to pursue a clean, safe, and prosperous neighborhoods agenda. But the second goal is to elevate the voices of people who are least heard, people who are oppressed um, and ignored by the political process, you know, politics as usual. And, you know, I'm somebody who's formerly incarcerated as a result of what I call the catastrophically misguided war on drugs. I also like to admit that the war on drugs is not all that was misguided. We talked about what my missteps and my mistakes were. Mm-hmm. But I understand the lasting impacts that bad policy can have on good people. I think that I'm a good person. But even if that's questionable, they also have lasting impacts on good community. And, you know, between that understanding and my understanding of the temptations and pitfalls with which young people are faced, I thought that me being in a race could do something to elevate people's voices. And then the third goal that we discussed was and is to create new inspiration for black people and for brown people who deserve this inspiration, Mm -hmm. and especially young people, Mm -hmm. to step up and lead through the expertise of our lived experience. Mm -hmm. And we envision that this can be a national movement where people like us, my wife, who set aside her career to focus on our daughters, you know, the audacity to step forward and say, I'm qualified to be a city councilwoman. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I know how to run a house, I know how to manage business, and I know what's good for community because I live in community. Myself, as somebody who's formerly incarcerated, never thought about stepping foot into a you know elected office. We have the ability to lead because we have the lived experience, and that in itself is expertise. And we want to inspire people in Detroit and all over the country to do the same thing. This ain't about big money. It ain't about being business savvy. Mm-hmm. And so when we realize finally that three goals. Two out of three of those, and this is really not the traditional way to approach political office, but this is the way we had to decide because this is how we move. We could accomplish two of those three really big goals without even having, without even getting the job. We get the job done. And when I talk to operatives like this, you know, other sophisticated operatives, because I do consider myself a pretty sophisticated operative, my colleagues don't understand it. They they think there's only one objective when you get your name put on the ballot, and that is to win and beat the opponents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly, as I'm saying, you know, I want the job. You know, I, I don't, you know, it's, it wasn't my dream job, but I'm, a, I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be about more than that. And the last point I'm making that is the reason why. This culture of gun to your head, lesser if evils voting, that we recreate, adopt again and again, continually gets us into trouble that we use that we employ that same strategy to get us out of. And it's not enough. Not only is it not enough, it's counterproductive. It's the opposite of what we need. People have to be inspired. And if I'm only in it to win, this is when I start for myself, this is when I start to compromise. This is when, you know, I'm shutting off the other there are other community organizers on the ballot for other for other offices. We're not talking. Because, oh, you know, I'm running for this seat. I'm not going to get in the marriage. I'm going to stay out of the marriage race. What? (laughs) We've been organizing together for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking now because you just want to get your job. And, you know, uh, Crystal and I proud ourselves on the fact that, you know, we're not getting out of this. You know, we set aside our pride. I should be trying to stack money in. I work really hard. And, you know, like. Fade to the back to, to black and chill and enjoy my family while I, while I still children. Yeah. But instead, you know, we we're reaching again, 
putting forth our hard-earned money. We don't have a lot to spare, but we put 20000 of our own. You know, I'll just say it. You're going to see the campaign reports anyway. 20000 of our own money in it so far, not because I woke up thinking that this is the, you know, I really want this job, but because I thought this, is, this really is a good opportunity to affect some change and build some movement no matter who wins. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in that same zone, Crystal, you, what, what was the catalyst for you? Uh, as, as, uh, as that's, that's definitely understood, um, um, of, of your initiative, Jay Sean, what was the catalyst for you? How did, how did that conversation go when you all were talking, uh, as a couple, uh, as friends, as, as, as supporters of one another, mm-hmm. when you made this like, yeah, I'm gonna do this too. Yeah. So initially when it was brought to me, I said, no. Mm-hmm. Because I said, I'm not this politician that make promises and then you can, you don't keep them. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's not me. If I go in for something like this is what I, I'm this is what it's going to be. I'm going to actually lift up people's you know voices that are being ignored. This is if this is what I'm going for. So I said, Jason, but I don't know if people, you know, want to. Actually, you know, people, politicians sometimes, like I said, make promises. And I'm like, I don't know if, you know, I just had a whole lot of thoughts, really. Uh And uh, but I thought about it and I said, you know what? I prayed and I said, I can give my perspective as a mother, as a wife, raising three beautiful, black, brilliant girls in the city and knowing that. I have issues here and I know that I'm not the only one and I've been born and raised in the city. And I said, I can, I told Jason, I was like, I'll uh, make sure that voices are brought to the table mm-hmm. that that's normally ignored and oppressed. And I said, let's do this. I said, I will, I said, I will go to the neighborhoods with a pop-up table and say, what are the issues? Let's hear this. And he was like, okay, you really stepping into it. I said, if we're going to do it, let's do it. So that was much so my my conversation. Okay, all right, and with that, uh, we we in overtime, but we always it's been ask fun. These it's questions. been fun. Yes. Uh, classic Detroit is different questions. I'm on you right now, Crystal. So we gonna stay there. Okay. Your very first car, year making model, and what year did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, Stratus, a 2003 Stratus. It was silver. Mm-hmm. That's uh what Chrysler. Right. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. Yep. And um brand new. Okay. Oh, you, you Yes, I was Okay, you yeah. were copping tags. <laughs> right <laughs> okay, okay. And I was and I was actually attending Eastern Michigan at the time. Oh man. So I was like, playing. hey, the rebate checks. I there we go. Well, what um how, all right, where was the first place you went when you got it? Um, I drove to school. <laughs> I drove back to school. <laughs> womp, 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 womp. Hey, but I don't know. You, you was in uh, was that, Prince Hall. You, you, you were in them doors. Like, people was like, oh, here we go. I know who, I know who taking us to Taco Bell right now. <laughs> Jay Shine, same question for you. Oh, my first car experience was a lot different from hers. Mine was, I, I paid two payments of $250 okay. for a celebrity. A celebrity. I don't even know who make a celebrity. I'm pretty sure it was Chevy. Chevy it, celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What and year was it? I don't know. 89. I don't know. This was okay. What year did you get? I got it in 1997. Okay. I was 17 years old. So it, it had some years on it. Yeah, it had some. It, maybe it was a 91 or something like that. I think okay. it was a 91. Yeah. Okay. 
But uh, first place I drove it was to work. I had it, you know, I told her that I finished school up north. (laughs) (laughs) I had a mentor and she was making sure I wasn't going nowhere I wasn't supposed to be. So the place Mm. I graduated from in Vassar, they they actually Uh hired me as a guidance counselor there. Uh So I was I was I was living temporarily in in, uh, in Bay City Mm. where I was attending school at Delta. Mm. And so I drove to work at Wolverine Human Services and also drove to school. Okay, so you you really were like that was a functional vehicle. Oh yeah, it was. I, I drove it back and forth to Detroit. You know, it was back in the day. You can get a car. You can get a nice car for five hundred dollars, and that's what I did. Okay. I mean, it had a couple teeth missing in the grill, but outside of that, it was it was <laughs> yeah, dope. They got me where I needed to be. <laughs> see, that's that, that's that's a young that's young people's thinking. You yeah. get a five hundred dollar car and yeah. drive <laughs> like an hour away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Old person's thinking is like a five hundred dollar car. I may want to keep in the neighborhood. <laughs> and he was like, "Yo, But you know, these people were looking after me, so you know, it was uh, great. The, the, the car was in it was in tip top shape. Okay. It was uh yeah. I, I drove it back and forth to Detroit all the time. Pull up with my okay. twin brother. We're two fellas. You know, I had a I had a uh, car. Okay. So it was uh. It was definitely a thing. So you, okay, you must have did one of those, like, uh, you know, the car books that people used to look through and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was doing, man. It was the guy across the street. He was actually an older. <laughs> he was an older, like the blue book. Thing. I was, it was a, it was a counselor. Uh, he was an older counselor. I, he was in his thirties. I'm 17 and I'm the guy that they're all helping out. You know, I'm the guy they hired us at 17. I should be ah, 18, okay. but they gave me my okay. first job. And, you know, he, he happened to live across the street from me and he was, they were talking to clinical director and he was like, he needs a car. And he was like, I've got a car. And he, when he gets his first check, he can give me 250 And when he gets his next okay. check, he can give me another 250 so it was, a, it was yeah. more of a solid. So he probably yeah. should have charged you way more for it. Yeah, but. he probably could have got two or three thousand dollars for it as I think about it. But he, 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 but had he looked out just yeah. on the, on the, on the goodwill. It, it probably yeah. came back to him. He yeah. Probably, yeah. Probably in like, a, I hope it God did. knows what car right yeah. now. He, he, yeah. He, I he hope he drove something. Yeah. A Bugatti. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> Airplane. <laughs> jet. I know. He got a PJ. He got the private jet from, <laughs> yeah. from gifting that young man. And I hope he did. Better than mother Waddles. It's like, I know I helped him. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. So, um, Next, Detroit is different classic question. You are the DJ. The fireworks are over. It's Woodward and Jefferson. What one song are you playing? <laughs> okay, so over. I'm a little bit different. Uh-huh. I'm probably playing Don't Stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't Stop. Wh- which one? Journey. Uh, just a city, boy. Born and raised. I thought it was going to be Don't Stop till you get it. <laughs> Like, That's like, the bar closing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Like Detroit, really What's the way to South? Yeah, like where you from for real, man? Like it's a South Detroit. <laughs> like, what like, is South oh Detroit? You from Tyrement? Like where they you gonna, from? You gonna play that? And then they gonna be like, who the DJ? They're gonna be like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> and then people gonna be like, hey, yeah, I know that song. <laughs> <laughs> they gonna all start Please. singing it. They gonna all start singing it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Same question for you. I'm going back a little bit to well not a lot but Ashanti I'm playing happy my baby's been uh singing that lately she's like put that on she's five so I was like okay yes wow yes okay okay all right and the very last question if you could rename what we're this for you first Crystal okay Mm. rename what we're after one Detroit or who would it be and why I would say um 
Can I go Motown with it? You can go wherever you want to go. You can be like, hey, my, my neighbor Reggie the other day. Yeah. I don't I think I have a, a few, but um, okay. I would say my husband. Wow. Okay. Say more. <laughs> Thank you, um, baby. I just, um, like he said, uh, the catastrophic war on drugs. You know, he, he got taken away from this place and I feel like he's back now, new, um, fresh, and ready to change Detroit. And, you know, I'm by his side, and I'm like, let's do this. That's what's up. That's what's mm. up. Same Thank you, question baby. for you. Come on now, Carl. You know I ain't, ain't but one way to answer this question <laughs> at this point. If I was going to say something else. <laughs> I don't know. But... I would name it. I would name it what, I, what I'm thinking about naming my memoirs. Karis Katie Crystal Clear. So those are my daughter's name, and then my wife is Crystal, and our baby is Clear. Mm-hmm. Because for me, um, and I know this is going to be the case for all of Detroit, it has been my life with them. It's just funny that their names fall like that, but it, you know, it's it, it was my life with them as a as a husband and a, as a father that made it all clear for me. And I think that it's going to be the same thing for Detroit that. Mm-hmm. This Lars Sosa family is going to help it make it all crystal clear. So I That's would name up. it Boulevard that. That's what's up. Well, there we go. Thank you so much for your do- Detroit Thanks for having experience. us. Thank you. Where's our champagne? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like mine. Chill. It's, 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 it's some accoutrement. It's somewhere. Thing, but, it's, uh, but that's usually the after-dark podcast. Oh, we do a couple of bottles. Okay, yeah. That's the after-dark podcast. All right. Podcast. I like your style. Okay. What, what, what tomfoolery cussing in the I don't know what was be going, going on in these chairs dark. then and on that <laughs> table. Nah. But, uh, I, I love it, though. All right. So, thank you. Thank you. PC. Thank you for having Peace. us. Detroit is different. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.